Hi. Hello. I'm Katerina, your guide living in Northern England. You've just joined Creators Abroad's podcast, and this is going to be an adventure. We're learning how to take risks, find opportunities, and spark our imaginations. Above all, you'll find out today how to build a new life anywhere in the world, and most importantly, make a living as a creator. Starting over in life in any situation, while it can be very exciting, it can be traumatic. This is not just for people who move to a new country. It can happen in the year and the now, right there, where you're sitting, or walking, or cleaning, or cooking. Today, tomorrow, everything can change. Relationship breakups, job changes, reimagining yourself. I got a haircut, for example, for the first time in two years. I feel like a new person. The most important thing to acknowledge when this happens is that you have lost something a mode of existence, and this can be painful. When we acknowledge the pain of losing something, whether this is close contact with family, cultural familiarity, routine, shared memories, comfort, job security, then only can we start healing and ask ourselves, what's next? That process of losing something and the next step of finding something new to fill the gap is complicated. With me today is previously X-ray technician in Alaska, now regenerative gardener in Switzerland, Dev Rivers. She went through this process when she moved from Alaska to Switzerland. And it's her passion for gardening that helped her. She now teaches a community of plant lovers, old hats and newcomers alike, how to grow edible landscapes. And while we will be discussing overcoming expat anxiety and starting over in general, we'll also find out how nature can help us heal, increase our productivity and creativity. Before I welcome Dev, I would love to know if you're living abroad. Are you living in a place where you did not grow up? Or if that's not the case, maybe you have restarted something in your life recently. Please let me know. Send me a message on Insta at creators.abroad. For now, let's get this conversation rolling. Welcome to the show, Dev. Thank you so much for having me. Now it's your chance to give our listeners an idea of who you are. Imagine there's a film soon to be released called Invincible Gardens. Can you introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? Absolutely. So I am a Illinois farm girl. I grew up outside of Chicago. And you can imagine me running through the cornfields when I was little. And I always love the quote that in the dandelions that we see, you either see one weed or you see a thousand wishes. And I have always been the girl that saw the wishes. And I left Illinois. I traveled to Hawaii. I then lived in Alaska for a decade before meeting my husband, who is Swiss, and that is what brought me to Switzerland. But when I arrived here, things weren't as idyllic as I thought they would be. And so I really needed to dig in to something new and find a new belonging for myself. And that is where my garden work came into play. And that is how I became started over in this new life. And so now I see invincible gardens as the way that our gardens are not perfect, just like our lives, but they are something that provide 
a way for us to overcome these challenges and to take these adventures boldly and to step into something new. So um, I feel like the next step for me is really rooting down to rise up in this new life. And that is what Invincible Gardens and um, the film would be about, would be about this rooting and rising process that we all go through when we start over. Oh, that sounds amazing. And especially like, I mean, I visited Switzerland and I loved it there. <laughs> and now you saying that it's not, it, or it wasn't that idyllic when you first got there. So I'm really, really interested to know about that whole journey. Scene one, starting over. Switzerland. Okay, so you've spoken a little bit about your drastic life change, going from Alaska to Switzerland, and there was a couple of other destinations before that. You also lived in Hawaii. But not only did you move country when you went from Alaska to Switzerland, you also had that drastic change of careers. What life factors led to this change? And if it was as simple as your husband Swiss. <laughs> There you go. But you can elaborate a little bit more on that. Absolutely. I will say it's kind of one of those cliche love stories, meeting someone across a room. And um, yes, he was indeed international. But obviously, this was part of my background and part of my adventure and my story already, because I chose not to stay in my small Illinois suburb where I grew up, but moved to Hawaii for university. And then what I graduated as an English major, and I think this really provided um, that idea that I could create my own life. And then I went to Alaska looking for this kind of wilderness experience, this connection to nature, and I absolutely loved it there. And I, in fact, had a vacation here to Switzerland, a holiday, and loved it here as well. So when I met my husband about nine or ten years later, and he said, you know, you could come back to Switzerland with me, For me, it seemed like a really easy choice because I'd had this really positive experience on holiday. And I think the other thing was that I knew that I needed to find a way to align with my values. And I was really struggling in the hospital setting. I was working 14, 15 hour days. Um, you know, we were always understaffed. And I really saw that there was more possibility for me than this really confining kind of limiting role career that I was in. And I wanted to find something that would help people because it's always been my passion to help people and to make the world a better place. And I found that healthcare was not serving me in that way anymore. And so when I moved to Switzerland, it became about what I could do to not only survive, but what I could do to thrive and what I could do to regenerate myself. And that was where I landed up in Switzerland through these life factors that then led me further down that garden path and, and into the garden journey that I'm on now. Yes. And I mean, I was going to say that sometimes it's strange when we have this deep need to make an impact or to change people's lives. It's not always the career paths that seem very 
obvious, like healthcare, and in my case, it was teaching, that allow us to do that. Sometimes we have to think outside the box because it also depends on personality. And really, the thing is, you can't help other people if you yourself you're in a bad state, you're not thriving, like you said. So that was a really good point to make. And I was going to say, how did you get from English major to x-ray technician? But I suppose it were just circumstances that popped up. Yeah, well, I have a teaching background. That's what I ended up doing with my English major. Oh, right. um, I was working as a supply teacher in Alaska. And then, you know, again, I think we get kind of in this experience of needing a means to an end, needing an income, kind of taking the choice that you said, you know, as you said, it's not necessarily the expected choice, right? And sometimes we do something that's a little bit more expected of us. And then we find out that it doesn't actually fit when we get in it. And I sort of knew I always imagined myself as a person that wouldn't be in an office job. Um, you know, I, I did love the classroom. But again, these things where we're just kind of overworked, we end up feeling burnt out, mm -hmm. and really striving to go from, you know, this place of, you know, constant kind of the hamster wheel, right, and just constantly struggling to a place where you feel like you yourself are really doing well. And as you said, you know, not being able to give when we're empty. And I always think of that um, expression, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. And so I really found that I, I couldn't pour anymore. And I had to find a way to to rebuild myself. Yeah. And I mean, there's the other image that always just pops up into my head these days. I can't remember. It was some kind of reference that I read somewhere. And I mean, we, we get it whenever we get onto a plane. It's like you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you help anybody else. So you have to make sure you're, you know, like, in a good state, you're mentally in a good state, emotionally in a good state before you can reach out and really have that transformation in somebody else's life. So did you have a passion for gardening before going to Switzerland? Yeah, I did. I mean, I think it started for me with this connection to nature. And I think this is what drew me to places like Hawaii and like Alaska, mm -hmm. because I was so drawn to mountains, ocean, plant life in general. And the thing was that I had always lived in rental spaces, never had a home of my own. Um, I'm still renting now even. But this was one of the other things that I worked to overcome was, you know, this limiting idea that you can't now because you're just renting or you can't now because you don't have the space. So when I was in Alaska, what I really leaned into was outdoor experiences like foraging and they have um, a marvelous amount of berries in Alaska. So I was always out there getting raspberries and blueberries and, and taking things from the wild. And then so I think it was this connection to nature um, that was always there and starting limited gardens in my rental spaces, but I connected with it differently before I lived in Switzerland. But just coming back to that idea of starting over, so gardening for you, it was something in the back end like of your mind. But what I love about that possibility of when we say we move to a new country or even when we, we make a drastic change in our life, we don't necessarily need to move to a new place every single time, um, is that it, it really gives us this pregnant moment of possibility. And that's the thing about it. You can look at it like that or you can look at it just as loss. Now, but I did mention this in the introduction as well. As exciting as it sometimes sounds, there is a deep-seated anxiety in the whole process. Now, 
we were speaking about gardening in Switzerland or Switzerland itself being this idyllic place. But what is the real reason that you kind of switched to gardening and you've touched on this in the film trailer? And more specifically, can you define what you understand under expat anxiety? And I mean, this is not necessarily just applicable to expats. I mean, expat immigrant, it's people who are not from the country they're living in. So if you could maybe elaborate on that. Absolutely. For me, I really struggled because I suddenly felt uprooted, you know, mm -hmm. and I think um, where that wilderness had always been available to me in Alaska or, you know, whenever I felt overwhelmed as a university student in Hawaii, I would go to the beach. But these places Everywhere I went, people spoke my language. I could ask where to find something on the map, you know. And when I suddenly arrived in Switzerland, I lost the ability to communicate with people in many ways because um, my German is still beginner. Um, I always say I'm, I'm learning slowly. You know, that's definitely something that is um, forefront for me to integrate myself into the culture that I'm a part of. But I think that when we arrive as somebody living abroad or as As an expat, we don't really have the ability to communicate in the ways that we're used to. And this feeling is a real disconnect and kind of that like you've lost your roots. You don't really know how to hang on to the, the culture around you because it's not familiar. And so for me, I really struggled with wanting people to like me, wanting people to feel like I belonged somewhere and in a conversation. And then just that feeling of being kind of lost and not really being able to express myself. And I think this is something that's so important for people that are creative and, and making these creative endeavors, you know, is this ability to communicate and express ourselves When that feels disconnected, we sort of disconnect from ourselves because we don't have that expression of ourselves anymore. And so for me, I think that's really where the anxiety set in was feeling disconnected from those around me and feeling disconnected from myself and kind of lost and kind of uprooted um, and just like that I was overwhelmed even in the simple gardening aspect of going and finding products that I knew to be what I was looking for and, you know, coming home and then feeling like, well, wait a second, this isn't what I thought it was, you know. So I think that the ability to connect with nature was some of where that healing of that anxiety um, came in and where I could kind of find that belonging to something that was maybe not the people that I was around, but gave me a way to connect to something like the plants and my garden first that then allowed the connection back to people through like this mutual interest of gardening. Yeah, I mean, you just said a lot of things that resonated with me. And well, I've lived in a few different places. My listeners will be familiar like Japan, France, and most recently the UK. And I have to say like that first period of after you've moved and you kind of like you're still in the process of like finding out where's a supermarket, like what kind of foods can I buy? You're not really that aware of the disconnect yet. 
But that starts happening once you've settled into a routine and you suddenly you're encountering people and you realize that they're not understanding you and you're not quite understanding them either. And, and they're not understanding you, you're not understanding them. And then you ha- then you, this process starts of having to negotiate a type of understanding and deciding, is this how you're going to carry on? Are you going to stay here? Are you going to go somewhere else? And sometimes I think when you, you move a lot, you do just, you sort of lose yourself and even just moving once you can lose elements of who you used to be because you're not finding that resonance with the people around you and then sounds nature I was like you just said it connecting with nature is such a big thing I mean we we get used to the sounds where we grew up and then suddenly not hearing them can be quite saddening in a way but then you get used to the new sounds or sometimes you don't (laughs) but (laughs) carrying on so for me it really that anxiety is feeling like an outsider unexpectedly because you think you're going to be fine and then it's that feeling of not belonging and trying very very hard to fit in so can you briefly maybe talk about how plants and gardening in particular help when we start over because for someone like me this is not something we would necessarily think of doing but the more I've prepared for this interview the more I thought about it and the more I'm like yes this could actually be a thing so can you tell us about the like that kind of benefit of gardening and plants yeah I mean what I find so fascinating um, because I'm also a soil health advocate and I've really done a lot of sort of science research into soil and the benefits of gardening and also gardening for mental health. And for me, I think it is a little bit unexpected, right? Mm-hmm. But what we don't know about is that, you know, in a teaspoon of soil, there are more soil microbes and more sort of living microorganisms than there are on the the entire planet and people. And so for me, this kind of action of growing plants, um, especially edible plants and things that we're going to eat and consume and we can watch grow and we know we're part of that process, is it puts us into this cycle that has been going on for thousands of years, right? And connecting with the actual soil and the actual earth that we're growing our plants in connects us to all of the knowledge from those people that have been growing food for centuries, right? And the sort of magic of seeds, right? And all of that little DNA and the memory of how it's going to grow and what it's going to produce is in this tiny little seed. And then we think about, you know, when we start over, it's kind of like planting a seed in new soil, right? And so I really see this process process of watching a plant grow, right, allows us to have something physical and tangible outside of ourselves that allows this connection to something bigger, right? You know, something that has been going on for years, this this knowledge of growing our own food. And also it gives us permission when things aren't going well, right? When our plants maybe have had too much water or too much sun or they get a pest or a disease, right? 
It also shows us that these problems occur to lots of things, and it's not just us. And so I think that, for me, is one of the important things where being able to connect to something and see something outside of myself and watch that process, it allows my inner process of belonging and connection and sort of learning and all of that learning curve and culture shock, right? We think about, you know, moving plants out, right? And we talk about transplant shock in plants um, because they go from, you know, this sheltered, maybe indoor environment where you were starting a seed and then suddenly they're out in full sun. And sort of watching how nature responds to this allows us to allow that process in ourselves. And so I think for me, plants are really helpful to have somewhere that we can be doing this work that reflects for us what maybe is happening in our inner landscape, but it's something that is not as painful as maybe acknowledging those emotions or difficult things that are coming up as we make these transitions, living abroad and um, having this expat life, right? And also, it connects us to this sort of greater belonging of a community of gardeners that can be global, that you can be doing this anywhere in the world, and that plants are naturally doing this every year, every season. You know, they're constantly producing seed, reseeding themselves, starting over. And so it just kind of shows you where you can kind of fit in in this cycle and connect to that energy that allows you to start over again and again, right? And to not judge yourself and be hard on yourself, even if that transition doesn't always go beautifully and you need a little time, you need a little extra water or sunlight. And to acknowledge that, you know, when a plant isn't doing well, we don't change the plant, we change the environment, right? And so maybe looking at If you're in a place where things are not working, you know, what is it that you could maybe find in your new environment that would support you, that's maybe a little bit outside of the box that you haven't thought of before, that would help you transition and really showing us what we need as a reflection of how our plants are growing. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. I love that analogy between like gardening and then also us restarting things (laughs) you know replanting a new seed growing and all of that factors of like the environment that's so important because if you're not in a place where you're thriving you don't necessarily need to get rid of the entire environment you can maybe just change a couple of factors (laughs) that will help scene two more than just a plant Many of us, me included, and this is a big thing for me because this is what I was thinking about when you were talking and I'm like, oh, this sounds so exciting. Like, this is like something I'd love to do, but then so many things kind of get in the way. So one of those things is we don't want to get our hands dirty. Like we don't want to go out in the garden. But when we do keep indoor plants, they do so much more though than add color and bring life to our space. So there's this kind of like contradiction where resistance to going out and doing the hard work but wanting the result if you get what I'm saying so focusing on workspace in particular and for many creatives and 
Content creators in particular, we work from home. What are the benefits of a plant, of having a plant in your space? And can you maybe bust a couple of myths, because I think I'm probably believing in them, like about gardening, about it being difficult, about it's like just soil work or whatever. <laughs> so Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think that um, having plants in your space is so vital. And I think there's a couple ways we can think about this with indoor plants and um, particularly people that are working from home and, and trying to create these lovely work in workspaces, right? Because this is where we're spending our time. And one of the things that I would encourage people and kind of do some myth busting here is that, you know, lots of plants will actually do very well. Edible plants will do well indoors. And I think this is something where people think, you know, I have a black thumb, I can't get anything to grow, it has to be hard, right? And this is the thing, it really doesn't. And one of my focuses, my training is in permaculture, and we really talk about small and slow solutions. And so I would encourage people to start small and to start with something like an herb, because I really feel like in a workspace, right, this is something where maybe you're having a stressful meeting or you're feeling a block creatively, right? And you could just reach over and rub your fingers onto a rosemary plant and, you know, just take a whiff of this rosemary and let that lighten your spirit, right? And let that kind of wash over you as a sort of aromatherapy. And so, you know, I think that people think that houseplants have to be a big Montserra or a peace lily or, you know, something. I loved how you shared about, you know, cleaning the air because there are whole lists of plants that will be air purifiers um, and peace lilies being one of them. Um, so, you know, that's another great benefit, but I would really just encourage people that, you know, there are plenty of edible plants that you can bring in, um, like turmeric is a beautiful plant that does really well in a pot. For most people, it's going to actually do better inside where it can have the long growing season that it needs. And it's your choice, right, with plants. And I think this is another myth that people, you know, think they have to do things in a certain way. And I always tell people, you know, you have to grow your garden because you are the only one who can. And so you know what's right for you. And maybe it's right for you to dig your hands in and dig up that turmeric when it's ready and to be harvested and you want to use the root in your cooking. But maybe you want to just have that turmeric plant inside for the beautiful lush green and the beautiful purple flowers and pinkish flowers that it produces, right? So just because something is edible doesn't mean you have to use it in an edible way. And you can get really creative with those things that you bring indoors as what you choose for your indoor plants. And again, that it does not have to be hard. It can be something, you know, really simple, like a simple potted herb and all really low maintenance things. 
And what I would say with herbs as well, you know, I think besides time, another thing is expense with gardening, you know, that people think they have to buy these huge plants that are really expensive, um, or they've got to get, you know, this special soil blend. And really, it's possible to just start really small and make a very budget friendly garden, you know, just by looking around when you're out in nature, and you can find some wild mint. And if you just pinch off a little bit of mint and um, stick it in a glass of water within a few days and weeks you're going to have roots and you just pop that into a pot for yourself and I do know people who are intimidated by getting their hands in the soil and not something they like to you know spread around or they maybe have small flats that they're living in and so it's not practical to you know have a lot of dirt everywhere and soil everywhere and so just know that you know you can get you know bags of things. You don't have to be creating a whole big compost pile or, you know, having an entire garden system. And don't let anybody tell you and don't believe that you have a black thumb because it's really a skill that can be learned. And um, I sort of say that everybody has a green thumb. It's just f- figuring out where it is. Yeah. No, I like definitely. And I, w- <laughs> I should have mentioned that the reason I don't want to get my my hands dirty that's the way I say it like uh, you know do all the digging and stuff is because I've got this real real fear of worms <laughs> that's the actual reason that's the actual reason um nothing else I don't actually mind the soil to be honest but and then the other thing I was thinking is that so it's spot on what you said about yeah people having this idea me as well so I'm actually just talking from my own opinion you know that gardening is difficult or takes a lot of time or can be is very complex because sometimes it's when you see other people garden or when you listen in England we've got these gardening shows they're actually really fun to listen to even though I don't garden but it may sometimes make it seem very complicated and involved and then you're just like okay well maybe it's not for me but you made the great point that it doesn't have to be complicated you can uh, try it But thinking now, and this is something I discovered as I just read up on plants and their benefits, and I'm going to get a plant, I am, (laughs) after this interview because I just, and I tried it. Okay, but the point, let me get to the point. The point is green certified offices. Now, this is not something I knew existed, but it's proven that an environment that echoes nature helps us be productive, calmer healthier and it's inspirational in fact I often include plants in my videos I never really thought about it why I was doing this but it is more aesthetic and I find that it breaks with kind of like the stark you know filming in a bedroom filming in an office without anything there so just on that aspect of the visual and especially for people who do videos and for photography for Instagram or whichever social media platform. What is your opinion on incorporating nature deliberately? And is there a beneficial cross-communication to viewers? I mean, if it's a natu- if the plant is just there, fine, it's the same thing. But what, what is your opinion about this cross-communication through the screen? Yeah, I think it totally translates. Um, for me, you know, when I see a photograph 
And maybe this is because I have more gardening experience, right? But if I see a beautiful picture of a basil plant, you know, I'm almost having the sense of that smell, even looking at it, right? Or, you know, thinking about what I've been seeing lately, a lot of people are taking up their potato harvests, and you see these sort of, you know, earth crusted, you know, lovely looking new potatoes. And there's this feeling to me of, comfort, food, you know, something wonderful is going to be made from this. And so I think that in many ways, these emotions and these feelings translate in visuals. And I think this can also be, as I was saying, you know, to me, um, that sort of richness of the earth is comforting, but also beauty, right? And solace and a peacefulness. And, you know, I think of some of the office spaces that I know where they've really tried to incorporate kind of Zen workspaces mm-hmm. and giving people a space to go to whether it's outside or if it's just a quiet corner in the office that's full of greenery, you know, but I think this can also be achieved with photographs and, um, you know, with paintings and things like that, that just sort of bring in those those colors of nature. And as you said, it sort of breaks up the starkness. Mm-hmm. And I do really love the idea of these green certified spaces. And I know here in Switzerland, where I'm living now, I've been talking with the international school here in Basel. And they're looking at creating, you know, green spaces for students. Again, it's going to benefit not only the students, but the staff and the teachers and then the parents who are involved. And um, they really need to start with something And they won't be able to create all of these spaces at once, right? But also putting in things like paintings or pictures or ideas of what's coming, um, I think is so important. And I do a lot of work with clients to envision their garden first. And we do, you know, one of the first steps is obviously observation. And I think having a picture of where you're going, of what you want your garden to look like or what you want your space to look like is so important. And so I think absolutely having, you know, photographs, paintings, um, images that you are surrounded with also helps you determine what what feels right. Like, what is your style of gardening? You know, are you excited about beautiful cut flowers that you could put on a table? Are you excited about lovely lettuces? you know, popping up in a box or kind of just seeing when you look at those digital images, where you feel the spark internally will kind of help guide your garden design. So I absolutely think that these digital things are definitely translate to both how we can design our gardens, how we can envision our space, and how we can work toward that. Yeah. I mean, I'll never forget, I watched this one YouTuber's video on breaking down his workspace. And it was just his bedroom. That's like the only, because he lived in like a house, like a commune, where that's all he had. But he did it in such a way that the plant was kind of like this main feature in every single video. So he had this really, really beautiful plant. And that just stuck with me. And I was like, yeah, okay, that does make sense. It does, you feel it when you watch that video and it's the same as what you just said like just having paintings or um like a picture or photograph of it that's a start <laughs> so um just to finish off this scene i want to know a little bit more about the edible side of things because obviously invincible gardens that's 
what you do, you you kind of help people grow their own food in like a high yield yet low maintenance edible landscape. And this just sounds yummy to me. <laughs> so can is it realistic to think a plant's going to help you be more productive and then you can eat it later on? <laughs> Absolutely. This is one of my favorite topics. Obviously, I mean, this is yeah. what my my business is about and um, and what I really help people see. And I loved explaining it first to my sister because she was said, well, I don't really understand. I mean, I get it that you're gardening, but, you know, what are you really doing? And I, I basically explained to her. Um, what an edible landscape is, right? And I think this is so key. And basically, with my permaculture training, the idea is you're designing a system, right? So if we think of the garden as a system, we basically want a system that is kind of self-supporting, right? And so this is where the idea comes in, where it's going to be low maintenance, because we don't want to have to input a ton of energy into it, right? At the same time, one of the permaculture principles is to obtain a yield. So we want to be getting some something out of this minimal effort that we're putting in. And so it's absolutely possible. And, you know, again, I like to encourage people and remind people that everything I'm doing, I'm doing in a rented space. I don't own my home now. We actually rent the land behind us um, from a separate landlord than even our flat is. So just to know that this is possible on any scale. And the way to keep it low maintenance, and high yield and also to do a lot of benefit in the environmental realm is to grow perennial things. So perennial things are things that will come back every year without you needing to replant them. So these would be a lot of the herbs. I'm very passionate about berries. I just think that I always encourage people to grow berries because they're so fun. They're so flavorful. They're so expensive in the store, right? And it's just lovely to go out and get currants and raspberries and blackberries and all these things from your garden but they will come back every year and with very little work from you you'll get much bigger yields and the other thing I love to share with people is a lot about tea gardening and this emerged for me because I was, you know, getting trained in growing an edible garden and you really get taught that, you know, everything needs to be useful and it needs to have this purpose. And, you know, I, I in the beginning, I didn't feel like there was room for the flowers and, and some of the beauty and some of the things that bring me joy about gardening and, you know, kind of for, function um, over form. And then I realized when I started diversifying my harvests, not just thinking about vegetables, but thinking about tea or herbal medicines, right? That suddenly all of these possibilities opened up to me where I could be getting so much more out of my garden that, again, was minimal work. And it's so beautiful to have these kinds of edible flowers, right? Things like borage, which has these beautiful blue star-shaped flowers, calendula, chamomile, you know, these things are just make lovely teas. You can put them in salads, right? You can make salad dressings. So I think that's the thing is... Um, just remembering you learn as you go, right? And so just start leaning into 
what feels good to you in your garden, right? Like, is it having the cooking herbs? Does that bring you up? Is it going out and getting a handful of like still warm from the sunshine blackberries and just popping those in some muffins or popping them right in your mouth or, you know, having a nice crunchy um, cucumber straight out of the garden? Everyone will find different joys. And so I always tell people that this is about gardening for more joy and less work. And so I think that's the thing to really remember is what brings you joy is going to be different than somebody else and not getting stuck in these conventions of you have to grow a vegetable garden in this way and it needs to look like this, um, but more so that you can have a wide variety. And the more diversity you add to your garden, the better off you are because this is one of the main principles of regeneration generative agriculture is that by increasing diversity, we decrease the need for fertilizers and pesticides, right? So we're reducing the amount of chemicals needed in the garden, but we're actually getting more benefit. And the way that we have done that is by just increasing the different kinds of things that we're growing, right? And so having some of those edible flowers. And the other way, one of the most significant ways you can just cut down on the workload in your garden is to use something called mulch. So mulch is basically anything that is going to cover the soil. So we don't want to have bare soil and um using something like wood chips or straw or just fallen leaves, right? And this is something where we can think of, oh, you know, if we think of the chore of raking up the leaves in the garden, but actually if I can just not have to carry them away, not drive them somewhere or get them picked up, but I can just top up, you know, a garden area with the leaves and then let it let nature do what it does in the forest. When we think about the forest and you go out, you know, you see the leaves on the ground and then it is actually protecting the soil and adding nutrients to the soil as it breaks down. But for us as gardeners, the other thing that it does is it significantly cuts down the weed load that we have. And so any of these things like mulching, using perennial plants, growing a diversity of things like edible flowers is really beneficial for achieving that goal of having a low maintenance and high yield garden without a lot of effort from us. Oh, wow. Like I was just thinking now listening to you, like there's so much expert knowledge that goes into those things that you wouldn't even think about. I was just thinking like you should start a podcast because <laughs> <laughs> you've got so much to share. It could be just like that very aspect of how to turn your garden into food, because just you listening to you talk about the crunchy cucumber and the blue, uh, or was it blueberries, blueberries or blackberries? I don't know. Blueberries. Yeah, because I was going to muffins and I'm a big berry lover. So I'm just like, yes, if I don't have to buy those berries in the store because they're like massively expensive, as you said, that'd be great. Yeah, and you're yeah. doing so much good for the environment, right? Cutting down on truckloads of yeah. things and cutting down on plastic. And so I think it also helps, again, with the way we feel about our gardens because we know we're taking action in a really positive way. And that, that comes back to us as a harvest itself, right? Yeah, definitely. Scene three, I want to garden. 
There are plenty of psychological and physiological advantages to having a garden or even just a couple of plants. But for some people, especially when they're pressed for time, and I think this is especially these days, I mean, we just have tons of things to do. It might feel like too big a commitment. It's that thing that you just don't want on your plate, basically. For example, just thinking about what I have to do on a weekly basis. I have this, the podcast show, I put content on YouTube regularly, I do my own marketing, have a production studio and a part-time job. So I have to balance all of this already. From your perspective, where do I find the time and motivation to keep a plant alive? And this is one plant. <laughs> yeah, I think that it comes down to just knowing that you don't need more than five minutes a day, if that, right? Because really, when you start to learn more, you learn how to do do more with less, right? And so you actually, you know, you might look at your plant every day, but many days there won't be anything to actually do with it, right? Unless you want to harvest or maybe once a week you want to water, right? But I think knowing the right way to approach things, because I think often when we aren't familiar with a certain process, we kind of tend to overcomplicate it and think we have to do all these things. That when we actually learn from somebody, oh, wait, I don't actually have to do that every day, then it kind of eases up on the amount of time that we have to commit to it. And I know I'll put pictures up and people will say, well, how much time do you spend in your garden? And honestly, I'm like you, busy and running a business and creating content and sharing in my private Facebook group where I do teachings. And, you know, I don't have time to be out in my garden every day, even. I try for like five to 10 minutes, you know, but basically it's also okay to to have days where you don't do something, right? And to choose the plants that are at your level, right? And kind of where you are in your garden journey and in your process of learning. So keep an eye on things so that if something like houseplants can tend to get things like spider mites or, you know, something like that when they get really dry and dusty. So we don't want to leave them so long. We don't want to neglect them, but they don't have to be a huge time commitment. It can be as simple as glancing an eye over them or just putting um, your finger in the soil and um, feeling if it's wet. And if it's not, um, if it's not dry, then you can let the plant go. And so sort of learning these techniques that are time saving, um, I think are really helpful. And the motivation, I think, comes from when we have success, right, when we learn and we do something in a way and we see that the plant is doing well, we're kind of motivated to take care of it because we we become connected to how it's doing, right? And I think this is where it can also be a struggle because if things aren't doing as well, we sort of take that personally, right? But also understanding that there are, you know, like life, right? There are these external factors affecting us and just learning that like really like life for ourselves with our plants, all we're trying to do is like take care and limit stress. And if you keep an eye on these few things, you know, once a week, once a day, that's really all it needs. Yeah. Well, I think that's such a great point to make because sometimes we just get so caught up in the idea that it's going to take a lot of time. And it, once again, it, it 
comes back to what we see other people do and then we kind of feel like that's how it should be for us. But now that I thought about it, literally, so say you want to grow the plant from the start, you just need to put that bit of time in like deciding on the plant and getting it in the pot and like getting the whole infrastructure. <laughs> that sounds very technical for a plant, but that correct. And then it's just the taking care part, which is not actually that time consuming. And you just brought back memories. I did have a bonsai once upon a time and I did actually, it was kind of fun trying to like prune it and take care of it. Something went wrong after a couple of months and it did become like very dried out. So I had to get rid of it at some stage, but it was fun. I enjoyed that. And it was nice to kind of like keep something intact and have it there and look after it. It's, it's like a pet in a way. But now say we do want to start and my, some of my listeners, they're maybe like me and we have never started. And especially if we want the plant to be edible, which one would you recommend we start with? Can you give us three tips also just on getting started, like the first yeah. three things to do? Absolutely. So I would really encourage people, if you're just starting out and new to gardening, um, is to start with something like greens, like lettuces or Asian greens, or to start with something like herbs. Because these are things that have kind of minimal light requirements. They're pretty tolerant of various soils. They're kind of tolerant of different watering levels. And obviously there's always this ideal that we could get to, but there's lots of plants that will do just fine, even if they're not getting the absolute, you know, perfect conditions. And I think this is such a beautiful thing with gardening where we get to experience so much beauty in spite of all of our imperfection in taking care of them. And so really just um, don't let yourself give in to that overwhelm or to that dauntingness of getting started, right? And it's really as simple as going out to a local nursery or a garden center or even ordering online. Um, there's many things you can just, you know, have delivered to your home. So again, you can just start really slow and easy and just get yourself a seed starting mix. You just need a simple container with holes in it and just starting putting the soil mix in whatever container you're going to use that does have drainage, that's an important factor, and just stick the seed in the ground and let it start, not giving in to these feelings of overwhelm. Starting small and growing into it, right? And kind of understanding that I always view gardening and I refer to it with my clients as your gardening practice, right? Kind of like a yoga practice. You show up each day and do your best in the garden, and that's all anybody's asking of you. And you don't have to go bigger than you are ready for, right? And um, this is another... I keep bringing this up, but it's such a key part of permaculture because I think there's so much in our society that's telling us to go faster and get more and do more, right? And it's really about not doing more, but having less to do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, keeping things small and keeping things slow as you get started and kind of growing into it, I think is key. The other tip I would give you if you're just getting started is actually 
maybe not to start the seeds themselves, because that's a whole learning curve unto itself that can really discourage people when it doesn't go the way that they were expecting. And there are many organic starts, um, or what we call um, seedlings or starter plants, right, where somebody else has sort of cared for that seed, um, they've brought it up, it's to a point where it's really easy for you to just take it from its small temporary container and pop it into a more permanent container. So this would be something like, you know, seeing the potted herbs in the store and then bringing that basil plant home, bringing that rosemary home or maybe a sage or thyme. And again, you know, you'll find lots of things like lettuces. So I would encourage people, you know, to start small and slow, consider whether it's the right time, the right season for you to be starting seeds on your own, or if it's more appropriate for this season for you to be getting a starter plant. And then when you've grown those things, either from seed or from using the starters and, you've, and you're ready to branch out, another tip that I always share is to plan your garden, to plan things on paper. If you're ready to have a little window box maybe, or even a small balcony garden or out on your terrace or even a corner in your yard, but you, you, know, you don't want to go too big. Um, you want to keep it small and manageable so that you keep having that success and then it keeps kind of pushing you forward and then you think, okay, I could try that next thing. But when we have those little spaces, drawing out what you're going to put there first on paper allows you to see it, to kind of envision how that's going to be, and it allows you to make the mistakes on paper rather than when you're out in the sun and digging in the soil and, you know, the plants are wilting and then you kind of get into a whole another aspect that you maybe weren't anticipating. So I think um, drawing things out on paper is another really good way to just get started. And then the other thing I am always um, reminding people is to think about the soil as well as the plant because, you know, we think about the beautiful tomatoes and peppers and things like that. But really, we've got to look at the foundation. So even doing something um, like I was talking about with covering the ground with a mulch, right? It may be more appropriate to just cover the ground, let the soil get a little bit more workable, let some wood chips or something um, kind of do some of that weed suppression so that when you go to do the work, it's not as difficult and it's not as challenging and allowing yourself that time and understanding that if you begin this gardening journey, it's this season now, whatever's happening right now, but then will come the next season and the next season, and that you don't have to do everything at once, right? So I really think, you know, starting small and slow, looking at whether, okay, you're ready to start seeds on your own, you're going to get a proper seed starting mix, use a container that's got proper drainage holes. Maybe it's not the time for you to start your own seeds. So you'd like to start um, with a plant that you get from the nursery and getting a young seedling or a starter plant. And then when you've grown some things and you feel a little bit confident and you're ready to have more plants together, drawing out what you'll have on paper so you get a good sense of it, um, what's all, how it's all gonna come together 
and then, you know, just um, leaning into that and, and the seasons that come one after another and knowing that you get more chances than just this one plant. Great. I loved your tips, especially the, the drawing part, because I'm a very visual person. I always kind of imagine something before I create it. So that is something that encourages me to do a garden because I can imagine it and what I want it to look like. It might not turn out that way entirely, but at, if I can just do that imagination process and then the creation process, that's something that really, really drives me. So that was a great thing to mention. And then also the misconception, this is my misconception and you pointed it out. You don't have to start with a seed or like you can actually start with somebody else's, what did you call them? Seedling plants? Se seedlings and starters. <laughs> yeah, I don't, seedlings and starters. I don't have all the terminology, yes. So you can start with that and then it, you'll maybe if you're a beginner, you'll have a higher chance of um, having the plant grow and not having to worry about the seeds and the seasons and all of that. So thank you so much for joining me. I've got one more bonus question for you, Dev, before we round up with round 42, which is just a quick fire round of questions. Now, as someone who has moved country, well, not country necessarily, but you've moved around a lot and then eventually moved country. If you had to do this again, what is the first thing that you would do when you arrive in your new home? And then is there anything you would do differently to reduce your anxiety? Yeah, I think for me, if I was to move again, I would immediately lean into my garden and to look at things that are doing well and thriving already. And I would make this connection for myself um, and kind of give myself the grace that it takes time to grow into these new situations, right? So I know even if I didn't have a garden and I was going somewhere new, I definitely would be trying to bring nature into my daily life, whether that is having a plant at home or finding um, a spot, you know, where where you feel connection and you feel comfort and um, uplifting kind of energy. And it's funny that you talk about, you know, I, it did take me a while. I moved around um, first, not leaving the U.S., but then finally ending up moving country. But I remember when I lived in Hawaii, you know, one of the things I missed so much was the seasons because I had never lived somewhere before that was so close to the equator and didn't have fall leaves and didn't have spring tulips and, you know, these things that are just kind of part of our experience. As you were saying earlier with the sounds that we are used to, you know, also mm -hmm. the sights. And there's a beautiful pine forest um, that was planted in Hawaii and it's now a state park and I remember when I was kind of feeling lost as a university student I would go to this pine forest park because it was different than everything around me in Hawaii and so I think what I would encourage people as you 
maybe move to a new country or a new location is to look for things that are available in your area that are already there. You know, maybe a nice walk you can take or maybe there's a bird sanctuary you can visit, you know, but something that um, connects you to nature, whether it's in your home or whether it's outside of the home, but it's just a way to discover more about the place that you're now living. Thank you so much, Dev, once again, for joining me and sharing all these wonderful tips. Like, I've learned loads. Absolutely. It's been such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Where can people find out more about Invincible Gardens and get in touch with you if they want some advice? Yeah, what is so fun is I actually run a private Facebook community and I'm there every week doing a weekly live training. Um, So when you were saying I should have my own podcast, I haven't quite made that step yet, Um, but I am there in Wild Roots Learning. And this is a global community of gardeners and also people that have moved country and um, are just trying to connect to nature and really gardening on any scale whether it's just um, a couple of boxes on a balcony or an herb garden in the kitchen, all the way up to people that are homesteading and trying to, you know, reach their goal of self-sustainability and, um, you know, really growing globally and having um, huge landscapes. So um, that group is called Wild Roots Learning. And you can also find me on Instagram as at Invincible Gardens. And I'm always um, sharing tips and tricks for gardening. So if there's anybody who's feeling inspired to to dig in, um, you can find me on Instagram or you can find me in Wild Roots Learning. Awesome. Now, just to finish up, we've got the meaning of life, the universe and everything, round 42. The first question is a surprise question and I'm going to change it last minute because you mentioned a couple of things. So if you had to work in one of these places for the rest of your life, which would it be? I'm going to mention three. The beach, a coffee shop, or a forest? Forest. (laughs) I feel like that doesn't take me long to think about. I just am so drawn to the energy of the forest and the way that we can watch nature's patterns and then replicate them in our lives. The forest is something I'm really passionate about. Yeah, I kind of expected that, but I wanted to ask anyway, because this is like something, three places I love. (laughs) Yeah, the coffee shop included. And I think like for me, though, it would be between the coffee shop and the forest simply because at the beach it's it's too distracting and there's sand and everything, even though I love it there. But then the forest, I do love working in a garden, even though it's not a forest. So yeah, next question. Best and worst part of life in Switzerland? So I love living in Switzerland because of the pace of life. I think that's something that I find to be the best living here is that I've really culturally felt supported to slow down and to not be so frenetic. And so I find that to be one of the best things is this kind of simple living that's possible here. And I think the worst thing for me is those moments when I feel disconnected um, and I feel still, even after all these years of living here, like I don't belong 
And um, I think that that is just a struggle for those people because of the way that people are fairly reserved here and not as likely culturally to let you in. And so I think that that for me is um, that lack of community um, is something that I'm always striving to to keep building. Okay. And what important truth do very few people agree with you on? This is a tough one for me because I know there are people that agree with me, but um, this is me putting my two cents in there for the environment and for Mother Earth and nature as a whole is I truly believe that we should not be tilling the earth. People think of this as a way to quickly get a garden, that they um, will have more success in their garden if they dig it up. And it's just not true. Scientifically, we see that you get more weeds, you um, wake up things that are dormant. You know, when we chop everything up into little bits, all of these weeds and grasses that spread um, when their roots get divided... Um, we actually, you know, exponentially increase the amount of grass and weeds that's going to come after we chop it all up. And so I try to always encourage people to grow an organic garden that is no dig, because in the end, it's actually less effort for us if we build our gardens in that way and don't till. And then what would you do tomorrow if you were 20% braver? I had a couple of choices for this. At the moment, I feel like I would move to New Zealand and I would start all over again. <laughs> I love that answer. I was I would do something similar, to be honest. And I I'm going to ask the original first surprise question because I actually want to know this. If we could grow only two plants for the rest of our lives, which would they be? Ooh. Um For me, I think that I would grow mint and and berries. I think maybe raspberries would be the one for me um, because these are plants that would just keep coming back. You could have a lovely fresh cup of mint tea. You can have handfuls of ripe raspberries that are just sweet and delicious. And I, th I think they're so rewarding. Awesome. Thank you once again. That's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to the show. By the way, I made a nifty roadmap that shows you how to create a maximum reach and impact podcast. It's very straightforward, one page, and shows you how to go from nothing, no podcast, zero, to something awesome that pulls together all your social media, video, and blogging needs in one beautiful haul so that you don't have to spend loads of time on all these different facets. If you want a copy, head over to creatorsabroad.com forward slash roadmap. That's it from me, guys. If you want to support the show, please follow us on Spotify, Apple, or whichever platform you use. Join me next time for more narrative journeys of Creators Abroad. <laughs>